This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 131 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equestrian Collections. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky, where we're celebrating Thanksgiving, of course, here in the U.S. Uh, this week. And I, I hope you're enjoying all those family celebrations. That is, of course, once you've taken care of the horses and also uh, having time to uh, just listen to the show this week. And many of you will know that from time to time we run this series called Great Partnerships and we had some requests that came in via our Facebook fan page and directly via email to me here. So this week we're going to reflect on a wonderful partnership that uh, Finland's Kira Kirkland had with Matador. So I'm going to bring you that interview in just a second. But first of all, I want to remind you of our sponsor here on the Dressage Radio Show, and that is Equestrian Collections. Because riding in a cold climate can be tough enough if you're not wearing the right clothing. So this is where Equestrian Collections can help you with its extensive range of winter riding britches from well-known brands such as Kerritz, Rompf, Tough Rider, Iridian, Ecus, Ovation and Ariat, to name just a few. There is something for all occasions and conditions to ensure you're protected against the elements. You can find out more about these popular britches and the full range of Equestrian Collections winter wear by following the link on our show notes or going directly to equestriancollections.com. And if you use coupon code HRN at the checkout, you'll get $10 off your next order of $100 or more. Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, as I said, we're going to be celebrating now one of those great partnerships in the sport, and this time it is Kira Kirkland and Matador. Well, Kira, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thank you for joining us and being part of our great partnership series. Thank you. It's great to have you on the show. We've, I've been meaning to have you on the show for a number of uh, months now, but this is a good excuse for you to come on the show and talk to us about one of your, I think, favorite partners, and that, of course, was Matador. Yeah. Fond memories. Yeah, no, it was he was a great horse, and he was really the one that made my name internationally, so he, he has a special place in my heart. I'm sure he does. Uh, let's talk a little bit about his very early days, Kira, and how you found him as a very young horse, didn't you? Well, I was traveling in Denmark looking at horses together with the dealer, and then we came to this uh, training stable, and it was a guy that I knew from Stemsholm when I was uh, doing my teacher's courses there and and so he had got in this young stallion he was two and a half years old so he wasn't ridden and he just said he was a very nice horse and then they let him loose in the indoor school and i i fell in love with him immediately but then uh, he was pretty expensive so both me and the dealer thought that mm, it, it was eighty thousand danish crowns at the time which, which is like maybe eight thousand pounds whatever that is dollars and uh it was a lot of money for a two year two and a half year old that you couldn't really try 
And at that time, of course, we're talking about 1979, wasn't it, when he followed? Yeah. 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 So, you know, he, he was, you know, he was just in the... How old was he? Was he two when you first saw him? Two, just a young... Well, he was, he was two and a half at the time. So it was like the, at the end of the summer when, when he then, <clears throat> like by New Year, would turn three. And I just remember, you know, he, he was just a horse that I thought of still. And when I left there, it was like with a, with a bad feeling of... Or, or I had a feeling that this was really a good horse, but I had no way of buying him and... And I went back to Finland, and then, like one or two days later, one of my customers who had a couple of young horses with me, he phoned me and said, "Oh, do you know a two, two or three-year-old stallion that I would be interested in buying one and letting like the horse stay in my stable and be ridden?" And I said, "Yes, I think I know the, <laughs> the horse, and um, his name was Heikki Soras." And so, you know, I said, "Contact." these people and he did and he went over to see it and he bought it like from from that spot now you said you fell in love with him when you saw him running free and loose in the school what was it that was so appealing about him as a young horse well first of all all he always had some sort of mesmerizing eye he he was he he could look at he really looked at people he just didn't look out he he looked at them and he could like capture your um, or he could capture people and it wasn't only horse people it was also people that didn't have anything to do with horses that would stop by his box and look at him because he was a bit like look at me and at the same time he was a little bit like a puppy he he was okay he was young at that moment but but then also later on he always had that sort of babyish look or bear or something like that and then he was very athletic he, he when he was standing still and when he started moving he was like immediately up and moving and he was you could see he had a very good balance he could change gear and change direction and was always in the right counter and so, so it, he just looked special I think so he was, as you said, very striking to look at with that very unique white blaze that he had, a very catching personality. What was his character like when he was young? Was he easy to train? or I, he, wasn't a bit, he was a bit spooky, wasn't he? He was very sensitive as well. Well, he was very sensitive, but he was never really spooky. He was always sensitive for sounds, but never really like looking at anything. And he was, he was um, a bit cared like you know he, he was boisterous because he was a stallion but he never did it to get you off or to go on other or go after other horses he, he was just had too much energy and didn't really know what to do with the energy and then he could like you know run away or something and then he got scared at the same time so you had to be very like careful not being strong with him or anything like that he he then because what happened then after this guy bought it and then he left him in Denmark so he was shown as a three-year-old and was licensed there so he was covering uh, like one season but didn't have that many I think he only had three or four mares and then after that he was backed when he came to my stable when he was three and um, at that time he with the rider on he didn't really move that well he had the, the trot was a bit like up down up down because he had so much energy 
and the contact was a bit scruffy too. And <laughs> but he always felt, you know, he felt like the biggest Mercedes with ADB brakes and uh, servo steering. And then you took it on video, and then you looked at the video and said, it can't be true because it doesn't look anything. The feeling is perfect. And, did, um, did you think then at those early days of his training, Kira, that he was going to be a really top Grand Prix horse? Did you have a sense of that already? Well, I, I always believed in him. He, he learned very quickly and, and was like um, very keen to to work together with you. And at that time, I, I had been riding at the Olympics with Piccolo and you know, I, I didn't really know what the super, super international dressage horse would be. I, I just knew what the Grand Prix horse is. And I, I felt that he was a Grand Prix horse. But I, as a young horse, you couldn't really say that how good he would be, become. And it wasn't really before he was six years old. Then then he, he, he was always very like, you know, riding in the forest, for instance. He never could walk home. He, he was had so much energy, so he tried to do like half steps, and then when you tried to stop him, then he did naturally Piaf, so Piaf <laughs> was there when he was four years old. And because Piccolo had been quite lazy, I knew that that this energy was something that I needed later on, so I was patting him, and I wasn't like that concerned that he didn't walk, because the walk was okay then when he was relaxed, and I thought with the years, then he will relax in that, and, and that he did do. And... Um, and then, like, he really learned to trot when over the, just by mistake, he did some passage steps when I was riding a little circle in the winter when between five and six. And then after that, he found that passage gear, and then that was like a fourth gate for him almost. So he, he, he was very much like, by mistake, he learned something, and if you could praise him in the right moment, then he would never forget it. So did you find that you have to you had to adjust your riding to him? Did you learn things from him that helped you develop as a rider? Well, I think you learn with with all horses, and um, especially because I this piccolo he he wasn't like confirm, his confirmation wasn't very good, and then he was a bit of a slower, lazier horse. So I knew that that I needed. A horse that had the energy so um, I think if maybe if he would have been my first Grand Prix horse then I would have been more annoyed that he wasn't relaxed or didn't walk or you know didn't do win his first St. George he actually was last in his first St. George without international St. George and he still did like all the movements without mistakes but he was just tense and the judges didn't like that and so I, I, I already when he was six I said then I said that this is going to be my medal horse, even if, like, you know, other people didn't believe it, but that that was my feeling with him. And you went to Falsterbo, of course, in your backyard with him, but after that, didn't you have uh, the, 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 obviously the threat of losing him again? There was It wasn't always easy, was it? Because uh, the, didn't uh, Heikisaurus decide to sell him after Falsterbo? Yeah, I mean, he was seven years old when I went to Falstabu, and I had, uh, well, my plan was to ride St. George I-1 there, but then it turned out that they didn't have St. George I-1, they only had Grand Prix and, and the Grand Prix Cure, 
and then I thought, well, it's about as difficult to ride a, a, a St. George than it is to ride a Grand Prix because the passage was quite easy for him. So then I decided I would start and I did start and he was second in the Grand Prix and won the Cure. And then because from the beginning, actually, this Heike Soras, he had said that, that it was like a sales prospect. So I knew that. And then, uh, well, then when he had won, then he got a bit nervous and said, oh, you know, now we have to sell him. And we had quite a few people coming, like good riders and good trainers coming to try him. But then they didn't, you know, one said that the counter wasn't good enough and one said that he should be castrated and one said that the mouth wasn't very good. And so none of them bought him at the moment. And then after Faustabu, well, this was before Faustabu already. And then after Faustabu, I got my federation or, or we got a contract on him to try for, I think, three months to try to find a syndicate of uh, owners who would go in and buy him. And that didn't go that well. <laughs> um, and then the last day when, like on this contract, a friend of mine, uh, and they were the owners of Kutai and Kartano, which was a big stud in Finland, but they were mainly doing jumpers, and they came. Um, he came like to my stable. I knew him from from before, and and then he said, "Well, how is it going now with the with the syndicate?" And I said, "Bad." And it's the last day, and there are people who wants to buy him, and and so he is going to go. And then this Yarmo Karma was from from Tutaya. He said, "Well, we could be interested in buying him if it is so that that main part of him is not sold yet." He thought that it was only small shares left, and this was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And he said, "I found my wife," and he found the wife, and the wife said yes, and they found the bank, and they said yes, and they found the federation, and they went up to the federation and signed the papers, and the horse was sold. So. <laughs> What? And he stayed with me. Oh, what a relief that must have been. Uh, because by now you were ready for the team. You, you uh, made the team for the European Championships when Finland was able to send a team, wasn't it, in 87? Yeah, well, that was the next year then. Yeah. But then it was already, they had, we had done the deal. And so that was amazing that he could. Oh, somehow that horse, even if I never owned him, he, he always somehow belonged to me. Yeah. Yes, obviously, a, a terrific partnership. And and then, of course, your international career really kicked off with him. What, what, what were your fondest memories? I mean, you, I talked about the European Championships. There was the Olympic Games, of course, in Seoul. What, what are your fondest memories and the tests that you will be most proud of with him? Well, I, I think still the, the World Championships in Stockholm. And that's not mm. only because he got the medal there, but... But he, um, after Seoul, he was, um, you know, going well. He was also doing stud, some stud duties. And uh, then we were going to have the next year the European Championship. So I competed him in the spring, and then he went over to to the stud to do some uh, covering. And then he came back to me, and two days later he got colic. And that was the only time ever he had colic. But it went badly, and uh, he had to be opened, and they did that, like colic surgery. But unfortunately, he got that hernia under the stomach, and it was pretty big. And 
that had all first to heal, and then we found one doctor in Sweden who said that he could try to operate the net into it so that it would keep the uh, stomach line a bit better. And so that this was already then the autumn of of that year, and the operation went fine, and then he came home, and he was very, very depressed after those operations, and I started riding him, and he was like, I, I thought that he wouldn't come back anymore, and then we had some school kids in the winter coming into the stable, and then I decided that I would, you know, pat him, pat him, and and do a little display for these kids with him. And he came into the indoor school and he saw the kids. And from that moment on, he said, right, I'm going to come back to this because sewing is fine. And then he like started to get much better from that moment. And so this is the winter before the World Championships. And and then that he really came back and that he, uh, you know, I think I did two or three competitions before the Worlds and everybody, Around me, they said that you know he is never coming, going to come back, and I mean there were rumors that he was dead or castrated or <laughs> whatever. But I believed really that he would come back, and then that he did did so well in Stockholm, and then the year after at the World uh, Cup final, it, it was like I think from when he got the colic, I really realized that you never. Own the own a horse for the rest of your life. You have to be happy for every day you can ride. So, even if I had, of course, appreciated him before, I appreciated every day after that. So it was like a different feel, really. And it certainly was a roller coaster for you, wasn't it, with him? You know, as you said, with the colic surgery, the threat to his his life, his career. And then he comes back in the Stockholm in 1990, in the World Cup, as you said, and and then the European Championships 1991, and and then you had to lose him again. Yeah, but that was like, uh, unfortunately, they uh, the the farm uh, got into economic problems, so I I knew that I couldn't. It wasn't that they wanted to sell him; they had to sell him, and they. The farm went bankruptcy, and they lost the whole farm too. So it, it was hard, but but you know those are the things. And and I I still after the colic operation, I had had uh, so many good years with him too. So when he was sold to to this Japanese rider, I um, I then met him at a couple of shows, and you know we talked. I, I remember the first time I saw him in Satogenbosch, and. The Japanese rider, he said to me that, you know, I have never been able to do 15 one-time changes with him, but I know that he can do it, so I, I don't get angry with him. And I said, well, good. And then the horse went in into the Grand Prix, did the two times, and went into the diagonal and did 15 one-times with him. Then, then I started to cry because I was so proud of him that he really took care of him. He knew what was coming, and even if he didn't quite understand the age, he still would do it. And then, uh, well, then he was competing a couple of years, and then they retired him for stud. He was standing in Germany. I didn't have any contact with him at that point. But then he came back to Denmark, and then after a couple of years in Denmark, I managed to organize him back to his breeder. So he went to to Mölleberg, who, who had bred him, and where his father was standing too. And so he was then 
two or three years, I think, they're still in, in stud. But they had to build him an own stable because he couldn't be in the same apartment or, or like part of the stable where, where my Sharif was standing because they were like fighting each other. <laughs> so I, I did have like contact with him till the end, you can say. Yes. And then, of course, he has a wonderful legacy, he did do some breedings. And I think you, you really liked his, his offspring as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I think somebody said to me, and I'm not 100% sure, but they say, they say that 60% of his offspring in Finland have been doing at least St. George or more. Wow. They, most of them are very like easy on the bit and, and they, are, they learn like, or, or they, or they, they have the ability to do Grand Prix. So if you can teach them the right way, they will learn it. And at the moment, I have one that is 10 years old that is born in Finland with Matadora's father, and then Amiral, the other Grand Prix horse I had done at Fluing as a mother's father. So he's he's doing everything for Grand Prix now. And then I have another one with Matadora on the mother's side. So what? Uh became of Matador then where was he laid to rest Kira did you did you know in the end yeah I did know because then uh, he suddenly he started having like trouble getting up and we tried with some you know just uh, massage and things like that but it didn't really work out so then we decided to to put him to sleep so he was put to sleep at home uh, with Georg Mellerberg and then uh, he was buried at the, in, in Denmark under a birch tree oh. uh, at the animal uh, graveyard. So oh. he has his plaque and is still remembered. Well, you will never forget him. I know he was not only a very successful partner to you, but and also a great, great friend. You know, one of those horses that really marks your career, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And... and uh, you know, I, I think that, like, we together from, from a small country, we have really showed to a lot of riders that it is possible to, to do it, even if you maybe don't have the, all the possibilities there from the beginning. If the horse is good enough and, and you are dedicated enough, then it is possible to do it internationally. Absolutely. Well, certainly proved that. Kira, thank you so much for taking us down memory lane and uh, recalling your fun memories of Matador. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that is our show for you this holiday week in the U.S. I want to wish you all, if you're celebrating an American, this American holiday of Thanksgiving, a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy the turkey and all the trimmings. I certainly will be tucking into it. One of my favorite meals of the year. And, of course, being an expat, I like to do turkey at Christmas as well. So hopefully I'll get two turkeys this year. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I hope that you'll come back next week. And, of course, don't forget you can check out all our show notes at dressageradio.com and uh, all the links to the offers that we offer you here at the Horse Radio Network. And uh, don't forget you can download those podcasts directly from iTunes and listen on your app, on your iPhone or your Android, and that's Instamat, that's one app, and, of course, the Hallway Feeds app as well. And don't forget you can leave your comments, questions or suggestions on Facebook on our fan page there or you can send me an email directly to chris at horseradionetwork.com. I should mention, of course, the winter quiz series that we run here on the Dressage Radio Show. 
That I've already posted on the Facebook page to ask if any of you have any preferences as to who you would like me to have on the show and start that quiz series going again. Just post uh, your suggestions there or send me an email. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I will be back, of course, same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening.